Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45 minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal valid when product served. Tonight, it's the biggest night of the year for podcast fans. Our 2021 iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. These are really some of the best and brightest and smartest and most compelling minds in the country. Celebrate the podcasts we've leaned on for laughs, headlines, stories to get our adrenaline pumping, and voices to comfort us. This is a huge honor. We did it! Thank you to my listeners, because without them, this wouldn't happen. Don't miss our 2021 iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. Watch on iHeartRadio's YouTube and Facebook, and listen on our iHeartRadio app. Tonight at 9 p.m. Hello and welcome to episode number 33 of the LSR podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gambling industry. And here we are, 2020 is here, and we still have a massive amount of states that are still to legalize sports betting so this podcast is not going anywhere we have a lot of stuff to follow that being said we did get further along in the process here than we thought especially than one Dustin Galker thought that we were going to get I do not remember we would have to pull the old tape here Dustin as to what line you set and what the number was but I can promise you this it blasted over whatever number that you set. And I think you said you would, I don't remember, eat a hat or something or no, I don't remember exactly. All, that all sounds like fake news to me, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 it, it's true. I, I set a fairly low bar for a number of states I expected in 2020 and we have blown past that. I'm sure we'll get into that as we review what happened in 2019. Yes, absolutely. Feeling good about being back. We took a couple of weeks off, obviously, for the holidays here. Adam, you spent your 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 holiday by trying to check out a little bit from all of the madness that went on here in 2019 and i know you have jumped back in head first how are you feeling about all of this craziness heading into 2020 here there's a little known rule in the lsr bylaws that at any time that i choose to take vacation major news will break <laughs> and that could be two hours that could be two weeks uh and the rule held fast um i have spent most of my last couple of days reading up on the great work that Dustin and Eric and uh, our team of mats did while I was out at uh, keeping up on the news. And there has been quite a bit going on. So I'm glad we have quite a bit to talk about. And Eric, you were able to kind of hold down the forts a little bit, getting some of the stuff done. And of course, you do your your stuff over at Online Poker Report as well. We head into 2020 here and with, I mean, kind of, you know, a little bit of a crossover to the site that you run, one of our other report sites. But, you know, with some of this news, it is kind of got you some things to do now because the poker world seems to be kind of at least in some places there seems to be stuff looking up. 
Yeah, well, you know, this is the time of year we we look back a little bit, but for the on the poker side, really looking ahead to 2020, we have a little more momentum behind the poker side of things than we've had in quite some time in the U.S. with uh, with Michigan and West Virginia legalizing sh- should launch this year. So we're we're starting to come around on the poker front too, not quite to the levels of sports betting we saw in 2019, but we're getting there in poker. Dustin, let's kick things off here with I think what we could easily consider to be the biggest news that happened and kind of a it kind of came out of nowhere I mean this was stuff that we had been definitely tracking for a long time now but for them to just go ahead and and make it public kind of you know when a lot of people were kind of off work and not really paying attention to as much of the stuff was a little bit crazy but DraftKings finally goes ahead with their big announcement yeah, a lot of this stuff has been floating around for for months, but it finally happened. DraftKings is going public uh, sometime next year as part of uh, as an ac- basically a reverse merger, an acquisition by a, an already publicly listed capital company called Diamond Eagle Acquisition Corporation. As part of that deal, it will also be combining with SB Tech, which is an online gambling platform provider and, and sports betting trading uh, platform that operates uh, around the world and and in the U.S. market. So all that's coming together. Uh, timeline is sometime next year. But this again, this has been percolating for a while. The DraftKings went to go public has been percolating. We f- first reported back in June about DraftKings and SB Tech looking at, at uh, an acquisition slash merger. And so now it's all coming to fruition. And obviously just, yeah, just a couple of days before Christmas, this dropped in and huge news for the uh, emerging U.S. sports betting industry. But, Adam, this was one of those things where we know just recently DraftKings signed an extension with Camby. What does this mean for that relationship and how that goes moving forward? With all due respect to the good folks at Camby who have always been quite nice to us, they gone. Uh, you know, Camby will eventually step out of this relationship with DraftKings or vice versa as SB Tech eventually becomes the in-house trading platform for DraftKings. Now, the question is going to be on what timeline that happens. It'll depend on when the DraftKings and SB Tech deal closes. But it's curious to me that the two sides, DraftKings and Canby, announced what they were calling a long-term partnership back in the summer when we had reported on the SB Tech deal quite early on in the summer, and they made it sound like that this was going to continue in perpetuity. Obviously, that's not the case. I'd be very curious to know how can be structured its end of the deal to account for something like this. And Matt, just to add one piece to this, because uh, Dustin won't do it himself. Um, our buddy Dustin Gauker took a wide, wide swath of crap on social media over the six months from the time he reported this to the time it actually happened with people saying, oh, is it really going to happen and questioning his sources? Let's uh, let's see if they all want to come back out of the woodwork <laughs> now to talk to us now. I, I demand I demand an apology on Twitter. I don't think I really got any apologies, but yes, there's a lot, there are people accusing me of being manipulated by by people uh, about uh, for stock price information. Uh, it, it was all kind of uh, 
yeah, it was, it was I was taken aback by it because and obviously it, it came to fruition. We didn't have the whole story back then with the public uh, DraftKings going public as part of it. But we did have the SB talk, tech talks and that it obviously came to fruition. And uh, I do I do feel slightly vindicated there. And if you, you and if you're listening, you know who you are. So go ahead and just slide into D- Dustin's DMs. If you don't want to do it publicly, you, he'll take the private apologies as well. He'll take those kind any any way you can get it right, Dustin, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, just uh, send me some send me some merch too, whatever. <laughs> and Eric, I think this is a good time to point out here if we're gaining some new listeners and don't they don't know the exact background of everything that's going on here. This kind of put dra- puts DraftKings on the same footing as FanDuel, because as we know, FanDuel has their own platform and is is backed by, you know, a, a major gaming company over in Europe. And they've been on their own kind of back end for for quite a while. Yeah, this will reduce the number of, of external pieces that DraftKings is relying on for its sports betting product. It'll bring most of it in-house. What, what I was taken back by is the valuation. $3.3 billion market cap this company is going to have when it goes public. Some some really big numbers we're starting to see out of FanDuel and DraftKings and, now. And, and, yeah, and all of this is wild in retrospect now. I mean, we're just in this world where sports betting is a thing. Like a year and a half ago, like, when there wasn't sports betting anywhere, DraftKings was not not doing great. There is no way it was getting this valuation. Um, there is, you know, we know FanDuel sold for for much less than it's worth currently in the U.S. market. So this is this is all turned very well for DraftKings from from going from a daily fantasy sports operation. They were obviously preparing for a world where there could be legal sports betting, and that gamble paid off. No, no pun intended, but it really they were really gambling on sports betting coming through and them being ready for it. And then yeah, it all led to to this day where, you know, the, you know, ever since they were founded back in 2011, you know, an IPO was, was something I look at. They're, they're doing it a little bit differently, but uh, going public, um, it'll be interesting because now we have, now we're going to see DraftKings numbers, um, you know, pretty, pretty visibly. We, we don't, FanDuel gets a little, gets tied up in, in everything else that goes on in the, uh, in Patty Power, Betfair, Flutter World in Europe and all of that. But, you know, we're going to see exactly what's going on at DraftKings as a publicly traded company once it, once it happens and starts having to do earnings calls and things like that. That's another wild thing to think about. But um, yeah, and they, they got a lot of cash out of this too. That's, you know, uh, part of building a uh, U.S. sports uh, sports betting empire is, is cash right now. You need money to continue to attract users, to, to launch new states, to, to market, all of that stuff. And uh, we're going to see a lot of that once all of this goes through. Not listed here in our little rundown, but while you were talking, while we're talking about, you know, things that have been acquired along the way and things going away and whatnot uh, over also a thing that happened kind of over the break and over the holiday was uh, FanDuel did announce they made an acquisition of a company called Draft a couple of years ago. And it was another another form of daily fantasy sports, another form of DFS. But an email went out that Dustin Draft will be no longer Draft is going to just roll into FanDuel. And honestly, I guess I'm surprised that the standalone brand lasted as long as it did. But uh, there's it is R.I.P. uh, draft as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, Draft's been one of those uh, that's been around for a while as far as uh, the daily fantasy market. Uh, they, they tried to provide a differentiated product from FanDuel. They had, you know, season-long contests and, and best ball and all of this. And, uh, you know, it just didn't make sense in a world with where they're focusing mostly on sports betting, trying to, to have two different daily fantasy options. Didn't make sense, even though daily fantasy is a little bit cheaper way, well, a lot better, cheaper way to acquire potential sports betting customers. Um, I think the Flutter, FanDuel, Patty Power, Betfair just decided this is the best way to go to not to not run another brand. But it was, uh, it, yeah, it's it's kind of sad. Uh, I mean, you've you know, I'm sure you've 
followed that company and uh, Jeremy uh, Levine and who was over, over there founded that company obviously did a great job um, with with the product and uh, yeah it's it's sad that it's going away but you know probably just time just the time for it to happen yeah I imagine trying to having to market two separate brands is just not worth it in the long run for them Adam we talk about DraftKings here and more DraftKings news does come out and comes comes in a one of the most famous ways possible from a sporting side of things. DraftKings makes the announcement that it will have a, what they term renewed partnership with the Madison square garden company, stepping into the world's most famous arena, as they like to call it in New York. DraftKings becomes the official and exclusive sports betting partner of the Madison square garden company, as well as the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. When you look at what this means for DraftKings, it's a longer term play on the idea that New York might someday, maybe possibly before we all get old and die, uh, legalize online sports betting. Uh, we, of course, are probably multiple years away from that happening, but that will not stop those who have an interest in traveling over to New Jersey from New York for potentially signing up for the DraftKings Sportsbook app at Madison Square Garden. It's a marketing deal that includes all sorts of signage and digital signage, as well as what they call activation areas within the arena that will be set up during events and will basically be a way for DraftKings to sign people up for its mobile product, as well as to promote its retail product in upstate New York. Yeah, I mean, I, I think these deals, as we've seen them, you know, basically a lot of these kind of partnership deals and, you know, they start to make more and more sense, especially Dustin, as you were talking about. I mean, once we've kind of really dug in and understand how much it costs to acquire a customer, you know, if you can do these partnerships where you're just getting tons of foot traffic and getting branding out there and you can do stuff like on the ground for certain people and get people to sign up. I think a lot more of these partnerships, you know, I mean, we kind of laughed at the the Hooters partnerships and the different, you know, the very the Buffalo Wild Wings partnerships and things that we heard about along the way. But, you know, as we really d dive into the costs of all of this, I think it really starts to make a lot more sense just because you're able to reach so many more people for such a uh, a fraction of the cost of what it takes for just traditional cost of acquisition. Yeah, let's just go a little bit of history lesson too. Back in this, I feel like deja vu, we're going through some of the same stuff in sports betting that we did in DFS days. DraftKings 2015 did a deal with Madison Square Garden as well um, that had a lot of this stuff, branding, exposure, things like that. Now, Daily Fantasy Sports, that 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 deal probably did not recoup its costs. This one, you know, New York could not legalize sports betting for a while. And I think this brand exposure probably pays off even if it's even if we're talking four or five years down the road now, God help us if that, if we're still talking about <laughs> New York legalizing online betting in five years. But, you know, that you could you, just having your your name in front of, you know, Knicks and Rangers fans and people going into Madison Square Garden for years, that pays off in like, OK, I know sports betting is legal now. I know I've been looking at DraftKings ads and branding at MSG for for years that I think that makes a, that makes a lot of sense for sports betting and trying to get a foothold. And in New York, you know, I think it seems like there's going to be fairly limited branding whenever whatever there's going to be not that many brands in New York potentially. Now again, we don't know exactly what the what a final law might look like in New York and whether it'll happen this year or not, but you know, I think DraftKings is, you know, a smart play you, Pays off in the short term, you can activate New Jersey customers. Long term, you get the branding and, and exposure in New York. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it all makes a lot of sense. 
Eric, we continue to look down these states that are trying to get stuff done. We added a new one to the hopper here in Maryland. There is no break between the 2019 lawmaking session (laughs) and 2020. We're right into it already with some pre-filed bills. One in Maryland just popped up this week. Um, It is number SB 68. If you're scoring at home, Senator Chris West pre-filed this basically it's just a shell for right now. There's not much to it. It would uh, legalize sports betting. It tracks in casinos. This is a retail-only sports betting bill, unfortunately. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the senator says they want to walk before they run there in Maryland. Um, we also, you know, they, they flirted with this last year, and we kind of talked about it. Any gaming, any gambling bill in Maryland requires a referendum. So even if this passes, it will need to go to the voters. Even if it goes to the voters, it's not going to have online sports betting. Uh, you know, there's a, there's just a sense that they don't quite understand it there yet. Projecting 40 to 60 million in tax revenue, you just you just can't get there. You just physically can't get there without without mobile betting. So we'll see what happens here in the early part of the session if they do some work on this and tweak the framework. But uh, Maryland at least going to going to have the conversation in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these bills and, you know, we, we, we continue to kind of monitor this situation in Tennessee. We talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago before we went away before the new year. You know, some of these things, I think they come out and maybe some some of them have the best of intentions, but not quite completely fleshed out. I mean, that's what we're kind of looking at in Tennessee. Actually, some renewed uh, so, some renewed hope that there will be something happening in Tennessee to kind of straighten out some of that nonsense that was going on over there. But yeah, it is uh, at least we have something going on there in Maryland and we'll continue to update you guys throughout the course of 2020 as this continues to progress here. Adam, we talked about Nevada and we talked about, you know, we speculated we were along the way wonder, wondering what was going to happen in Nevada as legal sports betting continued to spread across this great country of ours. What was going to happen if, uh, you know, you were able to if you're in the Midwest somewhere and there's no longer any reason for you to come to Vegas to, to sports bet because you could do it in your home state. And here we are, you know, a good bit later. And of course, we still have some of the major states to go, as we talked about. Still need New York to have mobile, still, you know, Florida, Texas, California, all these don't have, uh, you know, widespread sports betting quite yet. But it just continues to show that it, as we kind of speculated, that maybe all of this is not going to be the end of Nevada and in a weird way could actually might be good for the state because of what the, of just the unique offering that you have by having the strip here. Nevada is not going anywhere in the short term. That's the quick take on this. Any idea that sports betting throughout the country was going to hurt Nevada was predicated on the idea that there's a limited pool of sports bettors in the country, that you wouldn't also be expanding demand at the same time that you expand supply. And so as we've seen, there is a healthy appetite throughout the country and you are activating people who otherwise wouldn't be betting on sports. You know, the idea of a person who bets on sports being the guy with the cigar sitting in the sports book all day is an antiquated notion. People of all shapes and sizes are interested in the activity And even if they're just folks who want to put 10 or 20 dollars down on the home team to win, they want to be involved in this. And so when you look at Nevada eclipsing its monthly record all time with six hundred fourteen million dollars in November, you see that Nevada is having no trouble continuing to draw interest, even as New Jersey and Pennsylvania states with uh, robust online markets continue to grow. 
Now, here's the thing you need to keep in mind with Nevada. The mobile products are antiquated. And as people in other parts of the country get a better look at the technology that's available with things like DraftKings, FanDuel, William Hill, etc., they might start asking questions about what it's like to bet in Nevada, why it's different when they come to Las Vegas to be able to bet on those things. So that's what you keep in mind for the long term. In the short term, Nevada is going to have no trouble continuing to draw interest to its sports books. And Eric, I think one of the things to kind of expand on here that Adam just brought up is there is new there are new records being set in Nevada and it's still not even to its potential yet because of the way that you have to sign up at everything here. I mean, I think the people of Nevada, I, I you know, I, there's no I guess there's no motivation at this juncture. You're like, oh, yeah, what do you what do you mean we need to change? We're setting records right now. But I don't understand why they can't just wrap their brain around the fact that, yeah, you're setting records with a broken system right now. If you were to fix the system, just imagine the type of numbers you could do. Yeah, we finally gotten a glimpse of, you know, what it can look like, what you guys were talking about, the, the products we've seen on the East Coast really makes us long for that here in Nevada. The, the fact that we're starting to see what it can look like. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily a surprise. You know, none of us expected Nevada to take a huge hit from the expansion. But to see to see this kind of growth, I think, really impressive. The first first six hundred dollar million month. Meanwhile, a five hundred million dollar month in New Jersey across the country. Just just huge numbers all over this this great country of ours. Here's the thing, though. There were there were people who are saying that the, the fall of PASPA would lead to Nevada sports betting become a lot smaller. Now, I mean, that's a hot take. Like I like I mean, I have plenty of hot takes around that one. I never agreed with, though, that that it's one one people go to Nevada, totally different reasons than some of the you just I mean, it's just a different experience. You go for the sports books, you go for everything else that you can do there. It was never going to go away. I, I think that was a pretty foolhardy. Uh, assumption to make and you know part of the i think part of the other of it is also that people now are getting used to betting now you go now if you're coming in from out of state to nevada and you say oh there's a sports book maybe you're not intimidated by it anymore you're like oh i do this at home now i'm gonna go sit at the at the big big boy sports book in nevada or, or get an app that while i'm there or whatever i think i think there's got to be a little bit of that in play there can't it's not just uh it wasn't just oh people can bet elsewhere and now they're not gonna not do it in nevada anymore that was i think that was a pretty silly narrative in yeah retrospect. i think that's one of the things you know we we can kind of pat ourselves on the back with this is we never bought into that i mean basically our take from the get-go in all this was if anything in the short term it might help nevada because as adam mentioned it just exposed more people to the act of sports betting and they're still taking vacations and like you mentioned dustin you're you're coming here not only for that but for restaurants and you're coming for you know shows and you're coming for being able to just uh, the experience itself like you said I mean you can bebop in and out of you know casino to casino casino and go to different sports book to different sports book to different sports book where you know your local experience could be completely different and so I, I we never ever ever bought into the fact that this was going to be you know the nail in the coffin to Nevada. It's the same as as the popularity of probably offshore sports books and the money they're pouring into marketing. There's just more. There's more people talking about sports betting. There's more content about sports betting. All of this is is going on, and yeah, it just drives interest. There's yeah, people who are who are doing sports betting now who probably didn't even think twice about it. Now it's like, oh, this is it's legal in more places around the country, and it's just in front of people's eyeballs. Yet we know we have TV shows everywhere now too. It's it's yeah, it's just a different landscape, and it's uh, it's it's I mean, it's definitely refreshing to see. But same time, like I said, 
you know, there's just more popularity. You, you Google sports betting and you're getting, you know, not just not Nevada sports books, you're getting offshore sports books as well. And then and everybody's benefiting, I think, from from just the increased interest in, in sports betting around the country. Absolutely. A small, just a, a small little anecdote from that. I do some some programming out of one of the casinos here in Las Vegas. I was sitting there and a, this older gentleman came up to me and he must have been, you know, in his mid 70s. And he says, can I ask you a question? I'm like, oh, man, this guy's going to ask me who I like in the Super Bowl or something like that. And instead, he's like, yeah, I'm from uh, he's like, I'm from I'm from Virginia. And, you know, there's there's sports betting all around me over there. And I'm trying to whatever. He's like, what does a minus mean in front of a number? And like it was just like, you know, like stuff like that. You know, he's like so he wanted to be able to know what it was going on. You know, he was going to start sports betting in his local places around over there. And he was talking to me and didn't didn't know what the minus was. This guy's like, again, mid 70s. So, I mean, it is not only we, we also often think I think of like, oh, you know, all these 21 year olds and 22 year olds and 23 year olds that are getting exposed who are now turning of age and able to bet. But I mean, it's it's guys in their 70s, too, that never wanted to bet with a bookie or didn't don't wouldn't even have a clue as to how to bet offshore that this is also creating exposure to you know mm-hmm. sure definitely uh all right dustin let's talk about another state here that actually got going and that is new hampshire yeah we have uh i believe the 14th state with betting that's live somebody correct me if that's wrong i'm pretty sure that's the right number of that not, is, not that just correct 14 just pulled that out of my ass so lucky lucky was right um but it's uh yeah DraftKings launched as the only online operator in New Hampshire. Um, obviously, uh, I would say that's not ideal from a consumer perspective to have a monopoly, same as I have here in Oregon with a monopoly. Uh, but DraftKings earned that right by putting in a bid saying, "Hey, we'll give you fifty uh, percent of revenue if you let us be the only online operator." And uh, New Hampshire said, "Sign us up for that." So we ha- we now have a DraftKings only state in New Hampshire. Uh, so far, the early returns saw a report from Associated Press that they said said. Uh, 6,000 people uh, registered to bet uh, since uh, since it launched, which, you know, not not a ton, but New Hampshire is a small state, more than a quarter of a million wagered so far. I think we, we, we can compare that to Rhode Island, where it's all, uh, it's been live for a while now and it was only like 8,000 people. So um, definitely doing better than Rhode Island, which is a, a similarly small New England state. So uh, I don't know what we make of all of that other than, you know, DraftKings has a little bit of juice and that's uh, that's going to probably play better than a, than the, the lottery monopoly that's operating in Rhode Island. Adam, is this the point in the podcast where I let everybody know where New Hampshire is located on a map? I think that your geography skills are unmatched. However, there's only one member of this podcast who currently has property in New Hampshire. So maybe it should be him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, that is true. That is uh, that is true. Eric's uh, Eric's car does reside in New Hampshire, but we can't get it on the phone to let it to let us know where <laughs> it's located. Uh, yes. So if you are unsure, if you are not a geography whiz and you're not sure where New Hampshire is located, it is fairly close to Boston and it is fairly close, definitely close to uh, right on the Massachusetts border and getting access to the people, to the fine people of Massachusetts. And so uh, I think it was Adam, I think it was you who brought this up before we went on break uh, that the, you know, one of the biggest things just about New Hampshire going live was just the access to the people of Massachusetts. You initially might look at this deal that DraftKings made in New Hampshire and say, wow, they're giving 50% of revenue back to the state. 
And then you realize just how little outlay there's going to be for DraftKings in doing this, right? There's one app for the state. It's technology they already have. It's not going to take an enormous push because geographically it's just not that huge of a state. And you can just look at it as a customer acquisition price for when Massachusetts eventually gets its uh, act together and gets legal sports betting with a mobile component. We know that Boston is the home of DraftKings, and so obviously they know the area and the market quite well. Now, the only uh, piece of information you have to consider with that is that Massachusetts is still a ways off when it comes to legalizing sports betting. But, you know, in the meantime, it's a pretty low risk venture for DraftKings in New Hampshire. Dustin, let's talk about some tribal sports betting over, uh, you know, this is one of the things that we are continuing to monitor here. And I think we touched a, like very briefly on this before we before we went on break. But the tribal sports betting stuff going on in Congress. I, I had a trivia question for you first. What's the largest city in New Hampshire? Uh, I don't there. Uh, that's actually a trick question. There are no cities. It's just one state. You're just you're just from New Hampshire. There is there aren't actually any cities. You just put New the, Hampshire. The, the, the correct the correct answer is Manchester. Oh, <laughs> do, uh, do more studying before your, before the next podcast. Eric, what uh, w- w- what city is is your is your car located in? Do, you, do we well, know? Last last I saw it, at least it was in lovely Concord, New Hampshire. <laughs> Whether or not that's still the case is anyone's guess. <laughs> All right. Back back on the original question. I, I want to make sure we got that in there. Yes. Um, there is there is a new bill that's been floating around for a while. We got the actual the text of the bill. It's in Congress um, from a, a New York representative that would kind of clear up what's going on for tribes around the country. There, uh, you know, even though we've seen legalization in tribes, you know, in California and Michigan, say they, they want to be involved, there are definitely some tribes out there who are a little afraid of the intersection of these laws and and the federal law, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. This would uh, would seek to clear that up. Um, you know, uh, the the person who introduced this uh, represents one of the upstate. Uh, tribal casinos in in New York, so they are probably the ones who are who are a little bit worried about this and how it would work in New York. But this is uh, this is definitely something that other tribes are looking at as well. So um, whether this has any juice to get done, who knows? It's a very it's a fairly narrowly tailored law that would would affect only tribes and how they intersect with with online gambling and sports betting. So we'll have to wait to see if anything happens there. But um, you know, it's it, I think we're still looking at from a people looking for or waiting for a larger sports betting bill from uh, from Congress. You know, we've we've heard lots of chatter from from important senators on that in the in the past year, but we still haven't actually seen much action. I don't see much will to get it done in an election year this year. So uh, but, yeah, we have this new bill. Uh, Congress looking to get involved. There are certainly better ways and more ways that, that Congress could get involved or that the federal government get involved, including, uh, you know, the Department of Justice actually doing something other than uh, just than trying to fight the Wire Act, which is, you know, we have some coverage of that as well. You can read that at LSR and, and online poker report. Um, but yeah, we have uh, yeah, possibly a little bit of action in 2020 on sports betting as it relates to Native American tribes. Adam, do you have any commentary that you would like to add? Because I know you're a big fan of Congress getting involved with all of this stuff. This could be the rare case where I say, go Congress, go Congress, <laughs> go, because uh, clarification around IGRA when it comes to mobile sports betting could be not a huge impetus because there are other factors in play here, but certainly an impetus 
for sports betting to become legal in more tribal areas, at least online sports betting more specifically. We know that it's been, um, you know, well-versed uh, in terms of retail in 2019. Look, the biggest issue for tribes when it comes to sports betting is they don't want to reopen their compacts. They don't want to have to look at the deals that they have with their jurisdictions and potentially expose themselves to other changes being made in compacts that have been favorable to them. Some of them want exclusivity if they're going to offer sports betting. Some of them don't want to offer sports betting beyond retail because they believe that online sports betting or online gaming in general will prevent people from coming to their properties and spending money on other amenities. All of that said, anything that would potentially violate IGRA is clearly a non-starter for the tribes. And so getting some clarity around that, being able to say, hey, the server is based on property and that means that sports betting could potentially be legal anywhere else because we're saying the, board, the bet is being placed at the server on the property could be very interesting. And the bill is also very interestingly worded to make it clear that this would only apply to tribal situations because we know that there are questions floating out there in New York especially about whether the constitutionality of online sports betting would be enhanced by a definition of online sports betting as the bet actually being placed at a server on the property. And Eric, this is something kind of circling back to the the poker side of things that we have been dealing with with the Native American tribes for a long time. Kind of that line in in the in the sand between whether or not this is actually going to affect their bottom line when it comes down with you know California for you and I. As long as we've been in this business, essentially, it was always like, oh, California is going to certainly pass online poker, and there's going to be there's as many people in California as there is in the whole country of Canada, and it's going to be able to have this awesome ecosystem and yada 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 and of course that never was never has come to fruition quite yet and it's always been that big question of of how the tribes just view the overall how it's going to affect their their brick and mortar business yeah california the first state that comes to my mind when we're talking about this obviously and yeah like you said the the, the poker situation that dates back as long as we've both been around the gaming industry yeah to adam's point i think this if we're going to see federal intervention, this might be a good spot to do it. If we can sort of remove those those barriers and ease the friction between, uh, you know, maybe it, it won't directly impact what happens in California, but if we get something at the federal level that that eases the friction may may uh, yield some positive results in states where there are otherwise tense relationships between the state and the tribes. To round things out on our very first episode here of 2020, we will take a little bit of a look back. Dustin, did I will I will say one I want to give you props for putting together a list of your favorite stories of 2019. I also would like to say, did you get lazy because everyone does like the 19 stories of 2019 or whatever, and you you stopped at five? Is there a reason you didn't go 19 in 19 and you just and you only did five stories? Uh, yeah, I'm super lazy. That's the only. That's that's, that's the only. That's the only. You didn't want to have to dig could, back that far, right? Yeah. You could. Hey, you could. You could. I could have broken all of these down into more stories. I just <laughs> kind of did major trend lines, and you could certainly. I, I don't. I don't know if you can quibble with any of these, but you know, uh, number one, obviously, we, this is the wave of sports betting legalization. We, we had into 2020 with 20 states that will that either have online have sports betting already legalized or will you know launch it sometime in the new year. So that that's the big story. We could have picked out individual 
individual states, Illinois and Michigan, uh, two biggest states that that legalized, uh, that actually passed laws in 2019 saying we're going to have sports betting in the coming year. So uh, we had tons going on. Um, that was that was my number one story is just the wave of legalization. It's it's going to it's probably going to um, have to slow down out of necessity. We're at 20. We're already at 20 states. You know, we're not going to like 30 states aren't going to legalize or even 20 states aren't going to legalize. I will go. I will I will stake my reputation on 20 states not legalizing uh uh, sports betting <laughs> in 2020. You can put me down on the record. Uh, like, make sure we make sure we t- check that one in 2021. But there will not be 20 new states. Okay, that's that's your that's the bold prediction for 2020. So that's I'll, not even I'll, a bold prediction. That's 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 a fact. It's not going to happen. That's just that's just a fact. Yeah, number two on your list was just the big moves for FanDuel and DraftKings, and this actually kind of you know we've talked about these both of these companies already on the podcast a little bit earlier here but yes i mean the massive movements that both of these companies had of course DraftKings with the biggest news here of of kind of the end of the the the, certainly of the final quarter here and maybe even of of the year is the fact that they are going to you know go public and this was something that we have been looking at for quite a long time happening for this company so i i just don't i guess in the grand scheme of things um adam I didn't, I guess because I came into this a little bit, I guess I could say I was a little bit biased because I had worked so extensively in the DFS industry and I always looked at FanDuel as the clear, clear number two. It was like DraftKings was the unequivocal number one, FanDuel was a distant number two. And to see what FanDuel has been able to do on the sports betting side of things, I think is really, really crazy to me. I don't know if it was as crazy to you who you weren't really as as ingrained kind of in that as we were before you came over. I think that's one of the benefits for me not having been as deeply ingrained in the DFS space as you guys were that I didn't have any preconceptions about that. Now, I would caution that, you know, reading too much into, you know, the first 12 to 18 months of, of what FanDuel's done could be a little bit premature. But at the same time, what they've done in New Jersey is remarkable. They have a clear market lead there. Uh, they're off to an early lead when it comes to Pennsylvania as well. I think what you really have to consider is the amount of capital that FanDuel had behind it right from the beginning with the acquisition by Patty Power Betfair, whereas we're just seeing DraftKings being able to bring in the round of cash that it did through this merger with SB Tech and going public. So I think that, you know, what we see from from DraftKings in response could certainly pick up in the next. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say, tw- you know, 12 months, 24 months, because we have to see when the deal actually closes and when we set the horizon from there. But yeah, uh, FanDuel without a, a lot of other competition from the European operators and some of the big boys are still hanging out there waiting to make a bigger impact in the U.S. certainly has gotten off to a fast start. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have the preconception that they wouldn't be able to do it. Man, I know they were the clear number one in DFS, but it is still really impressive what DraftKings has done. It is not an easy path to where they are today. You know, uh, two two years ago, we essentially saw them as, yeah, the DFS leader, but probably a little cash strapped with no real, you know, plan for the future. And now here they are, you know, about to go public with a $3.3 billion market cap. Just yeah. 
just astounding for them. Yeah, people too. people love to crap on DraftKings, but you know, and and I've crapped on them in the past too. But as I sit here right now, it's like it is a crazy story to think they are where they are. It didn't happen just you know, you know, some of it, a lot of it was foresight, some of it's luck, but you know, it it, it wasn't always destined to happen this way. And it's almost like a, a distant memory too that these two that the two companies between FanDuel and DraftKings tried to merge because both of them kind of saw the future where they were going to be insolvent. So it's right, like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Think, think about that, that these two companies that now, I mean, they if they were actually merged, I mean, they, pro- they probably wouldn't be an exact comp. But, you know, they have something like, you know, you know, 50 to 75 percent of markets right now. If they were one one brand, if they were, you know, operating two brands at the same time, that would be that would be pretty crazy. And yeah, it's again, it's just uh, it's wild to think like I, I never saw this coming. I, I maybe I was maybe again, I, I'm happy to own my bad takes. I never saw FanDuel and DraftKings just coming in and, and owning the sports betting safe. Now, FanDuel obviously acquired that kind of changed the dynamic for them. DraftKings was unbeknownst to us just getting ready for sports betting. And they're they're just way ahead of of, of so many companies, including large casino companies uh, getting ready for the for online betting to expand across the country. So, they you know, they deserve props. Another thing on your list here is just the amount of money being wagered and we could sit and talk forever about that but it's way easier if you just go to legal sports report and look at the handy dandy chart that we have on the site right there that breaks down every state and all the different ways that uh, all the different reports that have come through so i suggest you you go and take a look for yourself because it really is astonishing when you take a look at the amount of money that has been wagered just since uh, every all this legalization started here another on your list dustin is that you know all these sports betting deals and this this is where I guess you said you could have broken this this uh, article down into multiple pieces if you wanted to. Talking about all the NFL deals, talking about NBA and Major League Baseball, Penn National, everything that they did, the sports book that is going to be you know in a sporting venue, which we and we just talked about another one a little bit earlier in the podcast here. And I think one of the other things that you know we talked about, but it really hasn't. I don't think we're going to see what the true effect of this will be was the Yahoo and MGM partnership because that happened as football season had already gotten underway. And it's kind of hard, you know, as, as we all know, whenever you, you really kind of prepare for football season and once football season gets going, you can't really cut through the noise whenever you launch something kind of in the middle of football season. But with them having an entire year to build up to next football season, I am actually fairly curious as to whether this will move the needle at all for MGM, because I think in the first year plus of sports wagering legalization, I think the thing that I have been most astonished about, and Dustin, I think you've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast. I think actually we've all talked about it was just these gaming giants, right? The Caesars and the MGMs and uh, of the world and whatnot, how they were, have not really been able to cut through and make any sort of impact in any of these, a significant impact, I should say, in any of these other legal markets. Yeah, I mean, the Yahoo MGM deal, I mean, it's only really, I mean, it's for branding kind of across the country as sports betting happens. It's, you know, there's, you're going to see MGM odds and and mentions through throughout Yahoo sports content and betting content. It's only, they're actually only sending customers to the New Jersey sports book. Now, MGM is going to be in a lot more states uh, this year for sure, uh, including states where they don't have a casino by virtue of some access deals. So, yeah, I think this will move, I think it'll move the needle that, you know, Yahoo is only sending traffic to MGM. It's not, and nothing else. There's, there's something 
something there's something there and MGM clearly has you know they kind of went into it like oh we're open for business everybody's going to come bet at MGM and that was clearly not the case you know some of it they're waiting for the Roar digital platform to come out that's now live in New Jersey uh, and will be deployed other places some of it says they weren't putting marketing money they're depending on the Borgata brand which obviously big in New Jersey Atlantic City but didn't really didn't really that just didn't come to fruition people just it wasn't like oh here we are come bet at us that did not work it did work for you know DraftKings and FanDuel as we said but um so yeah we're gonna see a lot more out of MGM um they have lots of deals they're being aggressive uh marketing you know we we listen to investor calls MGM and their CEO Jim Murren are constantly talking about sports betting and, and sports being a huge part of the MGM brand moving forward so what they do in 2020 will be definitely be interesting and the final on your list here is the Wire Act. Just in general, we have talked ad nauseum on this podcast about the Wire Act and everything that has gone on there. But if you need a refresher, go to Dustin's article on Legal Sports Report. He has linked to all of the different uh, articles that we have written over there about everything that goes on with the Wire Act if you need a refresher on that. But yes, definitely the Wire Act and everything that goes along with that certainly makes the list here. I'm going to put you guys on the spot before we get out of here. Adam, I'll start with you. What are you most interested in, interested in, intrigued by, or looking forward to in the world here of sports betting as we head into 2020? I think I can break this down into a couple of categories. I think in terms of the broader industry at large, the question has to be about mobile expansion and what the legacy gaming companies and states that have chosen to only go retail are going to do to increase their mobile market share to modernize their products to to get with a wave that clearly has made itself the dominant force in the u.s legal sports betting market and it's not going backward the other way i think in terms of the legislative landscape what i'm most interested to see is how the official league data mandate situation plays out for those who are looking at the integrity fee and saying wow the leagues are over getting the integrity fee it's time to wake up the integrity fee is gone the integrity fee might pop its head up in some random places, but the integrity fee has morphed and rebranded as official league data mandates. This is how the leagues are going to try to get their cash. They got it in Michigan, and this idea of commercially reasonable terms is going to be a very interesting concept when it comes to states being able to prove or not prove that the leagues are offering data at commercially reasonable terms. It could blow up the whole mandate situation, but I'm really curious to see how that plays out next year. Eric, as we sit here and head into 2020, you follow this stuff, you live and breathe it as much as anyone. What are you kind of anxiously awaiting? What are you looking forward to? What is something that you find interesting as we head into 2020? I am just generally looking forward to another year of covering this. It is really exciting just to be around this industry as it matures. I noticed we are increasingly talking about the tribes as time goes on in this podcast. I think that'll be a real key to watch in 2020. You know, a couple of the big outstanding states, California, Florida, New York, serious tribal implications. New York is really the one, you know, if I had to pick one, that's the one I'm going to watch. I'll give him I'll give him one more year to get this done before I before I uh, resign my my birthright to New York. But we'll see if, if one of the, the big tribal states can get something done in 2020. What say you, Mr. Galker? 
since every, since everybody got the big ones, you know, for me the big <laughs> ones is the big states. You got you got more than a hundred million people in in, in the three biggest states, uh, or but and if you include include Texas, Texas isn't going to legalize this year either. But that's the big story. If any of those states get it get it done, that's a big game changer. For me on the industry side, it is it's that sto- that storyline of who is going to come up, rise up, and start challenging Fanduel and DraftKings in a meaningful way. So far, the only only company that's really been able to do it is um, is the regional company in Pennsylvania, uh, Rivers, the Rivers Casinos across the country, uh, branded as Sugar House originally in Philadelphia, now Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania. They've done really well in Pennsylvania. They're doing well in uh, in Indiana as well in early days. So, what can they can they possibly really be a, a number three in a world where there's lots of big European companies, um, other you know regional casinos, national casinos? Who is going to step up and be one, either number three or two, actually kind of challenge DraftKings and FanDuel for these top spots in states because nobody's really shown that they can do it in a meaningful way yet. Yeah, that kind of goes along with mine a little bit. And mine was just more of not only who can rise up, but if we're going to see more consolidation within the industry. We saw this kind of in the in the DFS world, right? We saw when it got really, really big and there were too many companies, then the the bigger ones started eating up all of the smaller ones. And I'm wondering if there's going to be any more consolidation. We've already seen William Hill acquire CG. Of course, CG's been for sale forever, but we, we saw that happen. I'm wondering if there will be any other consolidation along the way and wondering if any of these partnerships are going to bear fruit. We kind of talked a little bit about the Yahoo and an MGM side. Is this whole Fox bet thing actually going to take off? I mean, it is certainly not for lack of trying. I mean, they have put it all over their network. They put it all over their branding. The, the Twitter machine for all of their accounts is going crazy with all of those. And so I'm pretty interested to see if any of these, these, these partnerships that these companies are doing is going, are, is going to actually truly to bear fruit for them. Because I mean, you know, we, I, Dustin, I think you're probably still in the same mind. We, we think that there's certainly hope for Fox bet and certainly with their reach that it seems like they would have a path to success here, but we haven't really truly seen that play out yet. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what we to, to make of all of it. It's there. There definitely will be more consolidation just because of the, there's big companies in Europe involved here too. Um, yeah, we have. A, there's a lot going on in the industry. Uh, not everybody's going to make it. You, there's you know the, there's you know tons of brands in New Jersey. Not all of those brands are going to survive long term. I don't think so. Um, definitely something to be, to watch for how how the industry plays out. What what changes? Uh, what companies uh, come out well? And and you know who who's gonna who's gonna, who's gonna win in the long term? We will start figuring that out next year. Guys, as always, all the stories that we talk about are found on LegalSportsReport.com. So if you want a full written breakdown in more detail, be sure and head over there and take in all of those stories. Excellent work by everyone, not only on this podcast, but people behind the scenes as well. Just some of the very best reporting in all of the industry. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review. It'll help us help more people find this podcast, and it'll also help us climb the rankings. And so, we want to share the good word with as many people as want to as want to find us and want to learn about this industry along the way. For Adam, for Dustin, for Eric, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week.
the go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. Meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal valid when product served. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. Meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal valid when product served. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 